Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. Brilliant. How good is that? Fantastic stuff. Harry, thank you so much. Guys, I need to let you know, this is Harry's last week on staff as youth worker here at King's. We need a big R in that moment, church. Um, Harry is going to study full-time, moving to Cheltenham in September to study, and um, Harry, I just want to honour you. I know it's not your last Sunday. I know it's your last week on staff. We'll pray for you another Sunday. But just say, Harry has done just a brilliant job um, serving our young people. And um, I want to thank you. And how you engage with our young people, just even as a dad, even this week, Harry's hanging out with my boy Levi and just spending time with him. It's just brilliant. We're going to miss you so much, but we know the hand of God is on your life and the grace of God is on your life. We're so excited about your future, but we will miss you and we will pray for you another Sunday. So not only saying goodbye to Pete, but we're saying goodbye to Harry as well. Sad times, but excited about your future, guys. Okay, we are continuing in Romans chapter 8. You may want to get a Bible um, open at Romans 8, this extraordinary chapter that we are looking at together. As Terry um, said last week, Romans 8 is a bit like looking at a mountain range. Um, It's it's just an epic chapter full of truth. Like we just see these incredible peaks of truth before us, starting with those beautiful words, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Finishing with, there's no separation for us um, from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amazing words. And last week, Terry looked at the verses in Romans 8 where Paul was saying that our present sufferings, uh, the sufferings and the challenges of what we're currently going through, are nothing in comparison to the future glory that awaits us in Christ Jesus. That there is suffering and there is hardship. In fact, it says all of creation is groaning. It's like the world is not meant to be as it is. And don't we see that even this week? Like we see what's happening in Afghanistan. We hear news of earthquakes in in Haiti. We hear news of devastating floods as well as wildfires in Turkey. We're kind of trying to absorb what's happened in Plymouth over the last few days. And we're like, surely the world's not meant to be like this. It's like the world is groaning because actually we're, we're living in this environment, this planet that isn't how God had created it to be. And this suffering is, is kind of pointing us towards when God's going to make it all new. And Terry unpacked that hope for us that we have in Christ Jesus last week. And so I'm going to be reading verses after there from verse 26. Really, that's continuing that theme like, how do we live in this world as we kind of understand and suffering and difficulty? How do we process that? And Paul says this, Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. 
And we pray today, let our ears be open, let our hearts be attentive. Holy Spirit, will you take this truth and apply it into our own hearts and our own lives today? Not just read in the Bible for information, we pray, Lord, that you may transform us today as we look at these amazing words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, in these verses, Paul talks about something that we do know and something that we don't know. And I'm going to look at those two things. What is it that we know and what is it that we don't know? The first thing is I'm going to talk about what we don't know. Paul says this, we do not know what we ought to pray for. I don't know if anyone finds that an encouragement today. Um, Of course, prayer is just this incredible invitation, isn't it? We get to talk with God. We get to have a relationship with the living God. We get to pray, to come before the one who knows all things. Beautiful how Steve just led us a moment ago in prayer. We get to talk with God. It's just the most incredible thing. But let's be honest, the whole prayer thing can sometimes be a challenge, can't it? I don't know if anyone here sometimes finds prayer difficult. Even the great apostle Paul acknowledged this, that really prayer on our own is something that we don't really know how to do. We do not know what we ought to pray for. Sometimes I was thinking about this, sometimes prayer feels like the worst Zoom call in history. Either you feel like you're on mute and not being heard, or you feel like God is on mute and you can't hear him when you pray, or like you know he's there but you can't hear him, or the Wi-Fi connection is terrible and it just feels like it's buffering all the time. You have no idea if anyone can hear you, or those moments on Zoom when the person freezes and you're wondering, are they hearing me or not? And sometimes in prayer, we think, is God hearing, really, my prayers? Prayer sometimes can be hard. And we wrestle with it because we know prayer is important, right? We know prayer is amazing. We know it's an incredible invitation to know God, to have a relationship with God. And yet sometimes prayer is hard. Isn't it hard to pray sometimes? Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you're here today or watching online and you feel, I find it's hard to pray. It's good to be honest about these things. I think everyone feels it sometimes. But isn't it also encouraging that the Bible acknowledges this fact? It can be so easy to feel guilty and feel like a rubbish Christian because we struggle to pray. And what, what do we do then? We, we heap condemnation upon ourselves. Now, I'm such a rubbish Christian even though it says in Romans 8 verse 1, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And what happens when we heap condemnation upon ourselves? We struggle to pray even more because we're feeling condemned. And how can I pray? But here in these verses, Paul says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. If you're sitting here today or watching online thinking, I really love Jesus, but sometimes I just don't know how to pray or what to pray for you know, I mean, that's okay. Many people feel that sometimes. Even Paul acknowledges this. It's not easy to know sometimes what to pray for. I'm so aware. I think, Steve, you may have even mentioned this. I'm so aware how often my prayers, I think I'm praying what I want to happen. 
whether it's really the will of God or not. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm praying things, but is this God's will or is it just what I'd like to happen? How do I know if it's God's will or my will? And what should I pray for? And when I'm going through difficulty, should I pray for breakthrough that it will come to an end? Or should I pray for patience to endure the difficulty? I mean, what should I pray? And sometimes we don't know how to pray. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. I have. I've felt like that at times. And Paul knew what this was like himself. In another book of, of the Bible in Corinthians, Paul talked about the fact that he had um, what he described as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that thorn in the flesh was, but it was something that caused him difficulty and trial and challenge and tormented him. And he says he pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away. That's what his prayer was. God, will you take this thorn, whatever that is, away? And yet what he says is, but God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul didn't want this thorn in his flesh, and he prayed for God to take it away. But actually, God's plan was that he relied more upon God's power and strength and grace as a result of this thorn. You see, God's will and our will sometimes we're not quite sure, are we? So we don't know how we ought to pray in those moments. So what, what do we do then? Do we just throw in the towel with prayer and say, it's just too hard, just too difficult? Now let's look at what Paul says. In the same way, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Now we, we aren't to throw in the towel when it comes to prayer. What we're to do is to ask for help because we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, who wants to meet us in our weakness and help us to pray. I don't know if anyone else thinks that's good news today, but I'm so glad it's not just down to my own devices, but I can call upon the helper, the Holy Spirit. We've already seen in Romans 8 how the Holy Spirit wants to give us life and peace how the Holy Spirit um, wants to help us put to death the deeds of the body that don't honor God, and how the Holy Spirit leads us, how the Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit that we're children of God, how the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our final salvation. And here, verse 26, we see how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray. He helps us in our weakness. It's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that we feel weak. You know, so often um, in our culture, we cover it up weakness, don't we? We don't want to show weakness. We don't want to acknowledge it. We want to pretend all is okay. We cover it up. We pretend, no, no, I'm doing okay, actually. We don't acknowledge to one another or to God that we're struggling. But actually, it's okay to acknowledge weakness. Paul did. In 2 Corinthians, those verses I refer to, he said, actually, I delight in weakness. Well, that's a weird thing to say, I delight in weakness. Why would you delight in weakness? Because Paul says, when I'm weak, then I know what it is to be strong because I'm relying on God's grace and his power and his spirit at work in my life. It's okay to acknowledge that we feel weak sometimes, that we struggle to pray, that we struggle to understand maybe what's happening in the world or in our life, we, we try to pray and our mind wanders. We struggle to focus. We fall asleep. Or we don't know what to pray for or even how to start. 
And then the circumstances of our lives, like the relational challenges and disappointment and health and discouragement, they all impact our ability to pray. We don't know how to pray. We feel weak sometimes. The great heroic missionary J. Hudson Taylor once said this, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. It's okay to acknowledge that we are weak. We don't need to hide it, cover it up, let it crush us, because it is in our weakness that the Holy Spirit comes and helps us to pray. I love that. I love that. As someone who often kind of wrestles in prayer, I'm so glad that in those moments I can come and say, Holy Spirit, will you help me pray? Guys, it's impossible to pray without the Holy Spirit. It says in, in, earlier in Romans 8, in, in verse 15, it says it is the Holy Spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. That's where prayer starts, church. Prayer starts by us being able to say, Father. You're my father. That's what Jesus said when you come to pray. Pray, Father in heaven. But it's the Holy Spirit that enables us to cry out, Abba, Father. We can't pray without the Holy Spirit. I tell you, I get to um, pray quite regularly with Terry Virgo, who sat here, right, just three rows back here. And it's such a privilege to regularly pray with Terry. And I've learned so much about prayer because I spent time praying with Terry. But do you know what? One of the things that Terry does so often is he starts praying by praying this very verse back to God. He starts by praying, Lord, you know how weak we are. Lord, you know we don't know really how to pray. We don't know what we ought to pray for. But Father, would you send your Holy Spirit now so that we could pray? Would you send the helper so you can help us to know that we're praying in accordance to your will? It's such a beautiful thing to hear Terry continually come with humility and say, we don't know how to pray, but we have the Holy Spirit who can help us to pray. It's beautiful. So I want to encourage you, when you pray, start here. Start by saying, Holy Spirit, would you help me? Holy Spirit, will you help me to pray? I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I ought to pray for. I feel weak today, but Holy Spirit, the Bible promises that you'll help us in our weakness. So I'm going to take hold of that promise. Holy Spirit, will you help me to pray? It's a beautiful thing to be able to pray. But more than that, these verses say something else. It says that Holy Spirit actually intercedes for us. Now, just think about that for a moment. I don't know if you've ever realized that. But the Holy Spirit works as an intercessor on our behalf. An intercessor is like a go-between between us and God. The Holy Spirit helps us, but also intercedes for us. So when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit within us brings our requests before God with wordless groans, it says. There's an extraordinary thing going on when we pray that often we don't realize. In those moments when you're like, oh God, I don't know how to express this. The Holy Spirit is taking that and offering that as intercession before the Father. Isn't that amazing how involved God is, actually, the Trinity, in our life of prayer? Sometimes, isn't it prayer like, it goes beyond our ability to express things sometimes in prayer. Have you ever felt that like there's something in you, but you don't know how to pray it? It's like words aren't enough, and you just, all you can say is, oh, Father, 
It's like something in you. God. And in those moments, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, takes what we're unable to articulate and offers them as our intercessor before the Father. I love that. What an encouragement. What a reassurance that even when we don't know how to pray or what we ought to pray for, we have a helper who intercedes on our behalf. As we pray, the Holy Spirit says, let me help you. Let me carry this with you. Let me take everything that is within you and present it before the Father in powerful prayer. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Is anyone here encouraged by that this morning? Because that for me blows my mind that when I come in weakness before the Father, acknowledging my need of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit partners somehow with things that I can't even express and offers those prayers before God on my behalf. What a gracious and compassionate God we have. So Paul says we don't know what we ought to pray for, but we have the Holy Spirit who can help us and who intercedes on our behalf. But then Paul says, but there is something we do know. We don't know how we ought to pray in moments like this, but we do know something else. What is it that we know? Verse 28, we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know, Paul says, we don't know how we ought to pray, but we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It's an amazing verse. It's one of the most memorized and quoted verses in the New Testament. It's a massively encouraging verse, but it also requires us just to do a little bit of thought about what it is actually saying here. Because again, if we're honest, sometimes our circumstances can feel very far removed from what this verse is saying, can't they? It's great the Bible says that God works for good in all things, but if I'm honest right now, it doesn't particularly feel like this is good. Or what I'm going through is for good. In fact, it feels like quite the opposite. So what is going on in this verse? We can ask, why has this happened to me? Why am I going through what, am I go- what I'm going through? Where was God when that happened? How can this be for good? Let's explore it a moment. I think we need to just look at what this verse isn't saying. It's not saying that all things are good. Now, cancer is not good. Addiction is not good. Racism is not good. Domestic violence is not good. There are many things in our world that are not good, that are actually decidedly evil and bad. And it's not saying either in this verse that if you follow Jesus, only good things will happen to you. Clearly, that's not the case because of what's gone before. Paul says that there will be suffering and there will be difficulty. And he goes on in the verses to talk about persecution and trouble and famine and danger and hardship. So it doesn't say that if you love God, only good things will happen to you. Certainly not. It's not the message of the Bible. Christian is not immune to heartache or sickness or loss or disappointment or pain. So the promise that God works all things together for good doesn't mean all things are good, but that God can use all things for good. Secondly, this isn't just mere optimism. This isn't like a handy little saying like, oh, it will all come out in the wash or it will all be okay in the end. It's not like a cliche. No, this is something Paul is saying, which is based upon who God is, his character and his purpose. Paul wrote this because he knew God. 
And Paul knew real suffering, like betrayal and beating and, and shipwrecked and being flogged and danger and persecution. Yet Paul was still utterly convinced to be able to say, and yet I know God will work in all things, in all things for good. So it's not superstition, it's not cliche. It's a statement based on Paul's knowledge of who God is, God's purpose on the earth. Third thing I think we should be careful when it comes to this verse is not to trivialize it and to um, make out that it's just speaking about our comfort. God works all things for good does not mean God wants to work all things so I can have a really easy life. It's not like, I don't know, your coffee machine breaks down in the morning so you drive into town and someone offers you a free voucher for a caramel latte and you're like, hey, I knew God worked all things for good. It's like, I think that's a... I think it's a very individualistic kind of first world western way of looking at that verse, may I just say. I don't think that's what it's talking about here. So what is it saying? What it's saying, Christians will go through difficulty, trial, hardship. But God's made a promise. The word says that what he has started in our lives, he will be faithful to complete. That his purpose will prevail that he is good, and that in all things he works for good and his purposes will not be thwarted. Now, we don't always see it. We don't always see what God is doing. We don't always understand at the moment what is happening. We may even say, I can't see how this thing is working together for good. That's when we need to read this verse, and it's hard sometimes to read it, when we can't see how a situation can be used for good. And we don't always feel it, do we? We don't always feel that God might be working in a situation for our good. In fact, it can feel like the opposite sometimes. I don't see it. I don't feel it. But Paul says, but we can know it. We can know that God is working in all things for good. It's what faith is, guys. It's faith in the promises of God. Faith is being certain of what we do not yet see. Faith is fixing our eyes on things above, not on things below. Faith is saying, I don't feel it, I don't see it, but I know it because God said it. And if God said it, it will happen. God will achieve it. It's in his word I can rest securely in the promises of God. He will work for good in all things. Not superstition, not perhaps, not maybe, not someone's eternity. We live by the word of God. If God says it, he would achieve it. Even when we can't see it or feel it. If you love God, he will work in your life through the good and the bad to fulfill his good purpose. And what is his good purpose? Well, actually, we, we get a hint of it in verse 29. It says, actually, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, God's good purpose in our lives is that we may become more and more like Jesus. That we may become more like the son, be conformed to him. That's what life ultimately is all about, isn't it, for the Christians, become more like Christ to become more like him, to know him more, to follow him, to become more like him. In verse 29, it says that actually he has set it in place that we may become more like his son, Jesus. If that's not the goal of our lives, by the way, the goal of our lives are too small. <laughs> if our goal is not to become more like Christ, that's what we're called to. One person said it like this, God allows everything into our lives for one of two purposes, either to bring us into a relationship with himself 
or if we already know him, to make us more like his son. God works for the good. It's not about getting a free latte. It's about us knowing God and becoming like Christ. In gentleness and in humility and in love and in dependency and in trust. He works all things. That means all things. Every event of our life can be redeemed by the purposes of God. For us to know him more and to become like Jesus. You know, this life is often trouble-filled. Often filled with uncertainty and pain and groaning. And it can cause us to live with confusion. We don't know how to pray. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. We don't understand why certain things happen. We don't understand why we live through certain situations. But words like this are written so that when we don't understand, we can still know that God will work on all things for the good of those who love him. We hold on to the promise of God. And we see this, we see this with examples in the Bible. If you think about like Joseph... Joseph was betrayed by his own family, left for dead by his brothers, sold as a slave, falsely accused, imprisoned for many years. I mean, everything that could go wrong in Joseph's life went wrong, really. And yet later on in his life, when he was reconciled with his brothers, he was able to say this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph could see how the kind of suffering that he went through, the harm even that his own family put him through, was turned on its head by God for good, to save many lives. God worked in it and through it for good, and he wants to do that in our lives too. I know there are people at Kings who are going through real difficulty right now, yeah, they're holding on to this promise. God works for good in all things. Um, Zola and Mandisa are here. I want to give Zola and Mandisa a round of applause. I love these guys, members of our church. We love and respect these guys so much. I, I guess not everyone may know this, but Zola is undergo, um, undergoing treatment for bone cancer right now. And um, right in the middle of radiotherapy... So five weeks of radiotherapy, that's right, isn't it? You're having to drive up into London every day um, for radiotherapy. And um, the way these guys are walking through this is just incredible. On Thursday, I think it was, Mandisa put a post on Facebook, and it said this, God is so sovereign over the disasters and the disappointments of our lives that he is able to make every one of them serve our everlasting joy. He's so sovereign over all the disasters, all the disappointments of our lives, that he's able to take all of them and make all of them serve our everlasting joy. This sovereign grace is the ground of your joy in sorrows. Not after sorrows, but in the sorrows of deep disappointment. So the Christian hedonist does not merely pursue joy after sorrow. He pursues joy in sorrow, in disappointment. The watchword of your life then becomes sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That's what Mandisa put on her wall on Thursday. How inspiring is that? How do, you have, how do you have a perspective like that on suffering? How do you live through a trial like these guys are walking through and yet have that perspective on life by knowing that God has said he will work in all things for good? for those who love him. And even when it doesn't feel like it, and even when you don't see it, you say, but I'm going to choose to believe that. I'm going to choose to believe 
the promises of God. It's amazing, guys. We stand with you <laughs> and your faith in God. We really do. It's amazing. Ultimately, we see it in Jesus, don't we? What the enemy meant for harm, God used for the salvation of mankind. Rejected by his friends, betrayed by those closest to him, utterly alone, isolated, falsely accused, beaten, flogged, spat at, mocked, cut off, humiliated. Looked like nothing good could come of this situation on Friday, Good Friday. But through it all, God was working through the silence of Easter Saturday when everyone was like, what is going on? Can't see God working in this. Certainly don't feel like God is working in this. Sunday was coming. New life would spring from death. Hope would come from something that seemed so hopeless. Jesus conquered all. But there was Friday and Saturday before Sunday. And this is Paul's whole emphasis. If you look at his letters, if that is what happened to Jesus, and if you are in Jesus, then that is what will happen to you. God will work for good in all things. Guys, we don't know sometimes how to make sense of the situations we're in. don't even know how to pray. The Holy Spirit helps us. But we can know this. God has not finished with us. God has promised he will work for good in all things. That is a verse to put your feet upon, put your anchor into. And so I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to that. I'd love us just to stand and pray. Yeah, and guys, we'll sing in a moment. Maybe this is real for you. Maybe you're in a situation, you're like, I just can't see God in it. I can't, I don't know, I can't make sense of this right now. Maybe you're struggling to pray. I don't know how to pray. How do I pray about this situation? I'd love for you just to be so open to the Holy Spirit to come and help you. Even when you don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf. Maybe, maybe you just want to open your hands to him. It's just a simple sign. So I want to receive from you. I need your help. <laughs> My hands are open. We don't know how we ought to pray. Holy Spirit, help us in our weakness. Holy Spirit, will you help people here today who don't know how to pray? Don't know what they ought to pray for. so grateful that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know how to pray. Trust what the God has said right now. Even earlier, Steve said about hope-filled prayers and hopeless prayers. Just in your heart, offer them to God and trust that the Holy Spirit is interceding on your behalf right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I want to pray for those who are just going through stuff at the moment. You're like, I can't make head nor tail of this where God is. I'm struggling to believe that it's going to work out for good in all things. 
I want to pray for you. Actually, I'd love to invite someone else to pray for you. Mandisa, would you, would you be able to come and pray? Is that okay? Can we grab a mic, guys? Come and join me, Mandisa. That would be great. I'd love you to pray for people. That would be fantastic. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being here this morning with us, Lord. When trouble comes, when tribulation comes, knocking at our doors, we choose to fix our eyes to the cross where your one and only son died, not because he deserves it, Lord Jesus, but he died for us. We can never be perfect, Lord Jesus, because you are perfect. You are the perfect one, Lord Jesus. You came from heaven to earth to be with us, Lord Jesus. You did not promise us a free sailing life, but you promised that you'll be with us, Lord. You said you will never leave us nor forsake us, Father God, in that in all things, they will work for good because we know you, because we are in you, Lord Jesus, and because we'll never be alone because you are with us, Father God. We pray, Lord, for each and every person that is in this place today, whoever is watching through the YouTube channel, that you be with them, Father God, that they will know your presence. They will know your peace that surpass all understanding. Through the trials and tribulation, you give peace. When we are weary, you are our peace, Lord Jesus. We say thank you, Father. We could never thank you enough, Lord. And we could never repay you for what you did on the cross. But here we are standing with arms wide stretched, Lord Jesus, to say have your way in our lives. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church, Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.